With respect to duels, indeed, I have my own ideas. Few things in this so surprising world strike me with more surprise. Two little visual spectra of men, hovering with insecure enough cohesion in the midst of the unfathomable, and to dissolve therein, at any rate, very soon, make pause at the distance of twelve paces asunder, whirl around, and simultaneously, by the cunningest mechanism, explode one another into dissolution, and, offhand, become air, and non-extant, the little spitfires. Thomas Carlyle A Lockshock A Fabulism Chapter 9 The Millmin well, I lost the candle untold hours ago. I've passed countless branchings and turns. The tunnel narrowed to a cramped shoulder height, and now I'm wading in icy waters up to my knees. How splendid! The air is stale, and in the perfect darkness lurid visions assail me, both delusions conjured from my imagination and also the ghosts of those whom I've slain, my hapless brother chief among them. He won't leave me alone." Clarice, Genver moans. Oh, why could you never allow me one thing of beauty? Why, Absim, why? I'd resolve to ignore his shade, but after hours of this bleating, finally I snap. All right, you little shit-stain, let's recap, shall we? Remember when we were both orphans, and you'd been slaving away in a mine for years, and then I found you and rescued you from it? even though you had the same opportunity as me to turn on your masters and supplant them. But no, I'm the monster for making deals with devils and gaining our freedom. I'm the monster for making you general of my legions. Don't blame me, pigpoke, for failing to satisfy your wife. You can't even satisfy yourself. With a moan he flees. Good. I didn't even like his company when he lived. Why can't I summon visions of Clarice instead? Why must it always be those I despise? It's no secret that my head is full of nightmares and crimes, but still I remain master of my own castle, and those thoughts remain banished in the dungeons of my subconscious where they belong. I stop and listen. Utter silence. Then a single drip of water echoing along the tunnel from what seems furlongs away. I am weary of trudging along, eating bits of poorly plucked raw chicken from my pockets to keep my energy up, headed most likely to my unheralded doom deep underground. None will ever find my body here. None will ever remember the glories of Lord Grill, unless I demand it. So demand it I shall. I spread my hand across the surface of the rock. The limestone is close to bedrock here, a granite shelf beneath me that extends as far as I can sense in every direction. Now here is bedrock with power. Each crystal of it is imbued with infinitesimal strength. Yet the crystals are innumerable, combining those strengths into resonating vitality. The earth fairly hums with it. Now for a commanding mind to harness it, I take a deep breath and settle into the stone around me, limestone above and granite below, a rumble of magma deep under. The caverns do not penetrate the harder stone. I am near the bottom. My awareness flies ahead, through the frozen sediments of limestone, to a chamber far in the distance, settled against the bedrock. A chamber? Here? 
Its walls appeared to have been worked by a mason, smooth and regular and shocking to find. There is no way the hermit sculptor found his way down here. It is some other mystery, an abscess in the otherwise uniform bedrock, a destination at last. But how to reach it? A rat's nest of tunnels weaves between here and there. None may sense my power at this depth, deep in the embrace of my own realm. Only Lothar Stett may notice something, he who notices nothing. So I throw caution aside and speak the limestone's own language, while exerting my will through the palm I've placed against it. The stone wall, irises open dutifully, pulling away from me as I walk forward, down toward the chamber below at an increasing angle, the water spilling under my feet into the tunnel I've made. Soon it pools and backs up, blocking my forward progress and threatening to drown me. It takes far too long for me to realize I only need to backtrack a dozen paces and begin another fork at a high point in the wall so that the water continues to divert into the dead end I've left. It occurs to me that the dead end will eventually fill, and then the water will pursue me again, but that will take hours, if not days. I continue on, pushing myself deeper into the earth like a parasite burrowing into his host. I lose all sense of time or progress. I am only a blind shrew pushing the earth aside. It is all I do. Suddenly I hear a trickle again. Have I reached my destination? No. The water touches my heels first, freezing them. Then it runs past my feet, overtaking me. The dead end has filled behind me. The hours or days have passed. I resolve to ignore the water as long as I can, but soon I'm sloshing about again. So I create another fork that drops at a much steeper angle and travel but a short distance. Finally, the far end of the tunnel gapes and lights shine painfully bright into my darkness. I shield my eyes and edge forward. Here it is, the chamber I've sought. Which is whose? An odd voice intones from within. Through my squint, a tall, angular silhouette blocks my exit. A well-appointed study is visible behind him, with sconces burning oil and bookshelves filled with ancient tomes. After my subterranean journey, it looks positively homey. I slide down at a slant and kick at him. Where am I? And who are you? I demand to be rescued. All I know is that I fell into a toilet three days ago and haven't seen... He curses sharply and raises a hand. An unseen force grasps my leg. It pulls me roughly from the tunnel and slams me against the far wall. As I stumble to my feet, a cage of glowing silver bars springs up around me. I grasp them, and my palms sizzle. Stepping back, nursing my injuries, it slowly dawns on me just how truly fucked I am. He, she, they, it, approaches, head tottering on narrow shoulders like a broken doll, but the hands command my attention, fleshless, stained brown. They gesture and flick, the fingertips crackling with what looks like actinic fire. That would make him a elusive thromadurgist if I don't mistake that particular shade of magnesium violet. But ye gods, the voltage! Where is he finding it all down here? This bedrock is an insulator. Ashishia is better, he purrs, stepping into the light. I squawk in surprise. Beneath his peaked black hood, his head is upside down. 
His mouth is where his forehead should be, his eyes at chin level, his nostrils flaring upward, all upside down. My eyes scan the rest of him. He is otherwise mostly normal. His cloak is dark and patched with triangles of faded color. There's nothing intimidating about his wardrobe. But his fucking head is upside down. I can't help but tilt my head in sympathetic alignment, despite its gruesome implications. I mean, how are you even breathing, lad? But he cares not for my questions. He hisses across his open palm, a weirdly resonant note that ignites the air in a line dividing us, flaring brightly in the air and hanging sustained as a small curtain, dripping sheets of flame. He stares through this yellow plasma at me, evidently learning something he couldn't see unaided. He bellows and smashes his skeletal fists together with a crack. That didn't sound good. I know a bone cracker who'd set you right up, squire. Fix whatever ails you. He's not but a skeleton himself, so he's intimately acquainted with the matter at hand. I always seem to embrace absurdity when threatened. Why is that? Yet tell me, where did you learn all these fancy ionic arts, dear brother? But he is too far gone, or never has been close. He rages at me in his clacking speech. It's like arguing with a golem fashioned by a mad child. Unnatural through and through. I find it highly distasteful. It is time to show him something of my own nature. I cup my hands together and call up a kernel of detonation from the magma deep below. But it doesn't obey me. My appeal dies at the bars of this cage. I am sealed away from the earth. Underfoot, the bars are no more than a handspan apart. I kneel and press my fingers through the gap, but can't fight past an invisible barrier that prevents me from accessing the granite shelf and the mantle of earth below. Neat trick, that. A negative-charged cage that can contain a geomancer. Well... He may think he has me snared, but I am far more than just a master of earth and stone. I'm a better thromaturgist than he is, I'd wager, and that's just me getting started. Yet I'm in no hurry to advance matters. I did just spend a day or more wandering lightless tunnels, so I'm happy to just study some of the finer details of the chamber. The stack of parchments on a lectern, the sizzling of a lamp in the corner, but no windows and no doors just a sealed chamber filled with books and this odd creature. So despite the mind-bending visage of my captor, I find that regarding it is better than solid darkness. Besides, you don't get into my line of work unless you can handle odd characters. I smile winningly at him. How long you been down here anyway? But he's made up his mind about me. He turns away, teetering as if on wheels, and zooms away, chattering gibberish. He returns a moment later with one of the tomes and pages through it while staring at me with his upside-down eyes. Then they flick downward. There on the page is the spell that he is going to cast. So some type of archivist or wizard, then, as well. He might have me beat there. I've never been one for book-learning." It occurs to me that I'd rather not care to see what he has in store for me. In fact, I'd rather we reversed our positions. But clerestomy and its night sky wishes aren't available, so I'll have to be more clever than that. And fast, his lips are starting to shape the words, and his hand is rising in the air. Ah, oh, that's it. Air. 
Lysophy is one of my minor arts. I can't imagine that he thought to imbue his cage with a protection against its gentle ways. If that were true, I'd be suffocating. And I'm not. So I caress the currents of gases that flow through the chamber, then coalesce the gases near his head, clench his rising finger with a spasm of air, and snap it clean off. He howls, the book falls. It hits the floor with a thump and vanishes in a black cloud of ash. He howls again at its loss, even more loudly. Now we're getting somewhere. Before he can howl again, I shape another fist of air and fill his mouth with it. He stumbles back, gagging. That's better. Now to free myself. I stitch a lysophic tapestry of pure genius before me, a leveraged use of aspect shift that pivots my core elements from solid into gas. But just before turning myself into a creature of air to pass through the bars, I grasp how vulnerable I'd make myself during the transformation. He could do anything to me while I'd just floated there. So I halt the evocation in mid-utterance and switch arts. Thromadurgic inspiration strikes. Ah, this is how I will beat him at his own game. If he's flipped the polarity of his silver cage to negate my geomancies, then I must capitalize upon it. But I can't reach through the bars to access his ionic constructs. The lines and sheets of fire will only answer to him. Yet I can create my own. I doubt he's even heard of molecularist Thromadurgy. It's thousands of years old. He's almost certainly unaware he made this silver cage into an enormous block of negatively charged ions, which he must be somehow shielding from interacting with the positive ions of the wider chamber. I'd like to exploit that. A brief inspection reveals a lattice finish imbued in the bars as an anti-magical enchantment, an electromagnetic barrier that repels ions. I can't break the lattice with Thromadurgy, but what if I add to it and its ionic protections? What if I tilt the balance so far in one direction that the opposite of what is intended occurs? Wham! The cage rockets across the chamber and crashes against the far wall at the speed of molecular attraction. I stagger to my feet, my nose freely bleeding, and switch my focus to another face of the cage. Wham! We fly against another wall of the chamber, sending books crashing to the floor where they vanish in black smoke. Poof, poof, poof. My foe screeches as his treasures vanish. Then he turns, furious on me. He throws his arms wide and collects all the heat from the far side of the room with a sucking roar. It swirls into an incandescent fireball that he launches at me, but it splashes harmlessly against the defenses he built into my cage. He screeches again in fury. With a wave of his hand, he dismisses the silver bars around me so he can more easily get at me. And I at him. Oh ho, the game is on. He sends another fireball at me, but now I can access the stone beneath my feet. I sink into the floor before it hits. Ah, home again. In the invulnerable granite I regain myself. It is a cleansing, a rediscovery of my true identity. In the airless compaction of stone, there is no space for lies. 
I step out of a wall behind him and lift my hands, pulling invisible strings. An invisible wall of mialic thromedurgy slams against him from behind. He collapses, but then tumbles forward in a clattering mass of pins and bones. His cloak hid a bizarre skeleton of wood and bone, somehow held together with unliving leathery sinews. He rebounds from the far wall, articulating into something far larger and more frightening, lunging at me like a panther with curved claws. I must say, I'm impressed. So much so that I fail to counter his lunge and he tackles me to the ground, the claws piercing my shoulder. My back arches in agony and I pummel uselessly against his shoulders. I fight the pain from my mind and make decisions. Now that we're touching, I can employ the biological art of phrygnomony, the mysteries of connective tissues, as my old teacher used to crow, jabbing me with his thumbs. I do this now to the creature attacking me, grasping the flailing limbs and sliding my hands to the joints, where I press my thumbs in hard. But these are no human limbs. I can't find purchase." Gritting my teeth against the wounds in my shoulder and the added pain of what I'm about to do, I jam the tip of my thumb into the gap made by an overextended joint. As expected, he gasps in agony and recoils, snapping the joint shut on my thumb, nearly severing it. But now that I have purchase, I can't remove it. I take a deep breath through the soles of my feet and expel it into him, unwinding his fascia. Three of his many limbs drop, useless to the ground, but they don't vanish with a satisfying poof. They only trail after him on the ground. He springs back, snarling. His head rotates like an owl doing tricks before settling back into its upside-down position. He speaks quickly now. I wish I could memorize the words. Something like that, all sibilance and fury. He collects his fallen limbs and holds them against his chest like a hoarder, spitting more insults at me. Then he hums again. But I've seen this trick. I dive out of the way as a line of fire ignites the air and spears the spot where I crouched. Yes, let's manipulate plasma, my fine wooden friend. Let's see if you burn. My left hand begins choreographing the intricate gestures required to recruit energy currents around me. Snare one, and others flood in. It's more important to restrain the plasmas than it is to direct them, otherwise I'll ignite the air itself. I raise my hands. From either side of him, two walls of flame thunderclap together. He vanishes in the fiery explosion. But then I hear his laughter. He steps from the fire unharmed, his upturned face filled with malevolent glee. He declares, I'm sure it means something like, Oh, you want to see what I can really do? His hand rises and a book flies to it from the shelf. He reads an incantation, and the icicles he summons drop from the ceiling, spearing me and scoring my scalp and filling me with arctic pain. No, you don't! I blast his bookshelves with a gout of fire, interrupting his conclusion. Instead, he squeals in agony and drops to his knees in grief-stricken loss, as the volumes burn merrily, and the bookshelves too. Mayhap I've broken his clockwork heart. I hope so. But alas, his grief turns to earth-shaking volcanism. 
The heat of lava pushes up through the fissures in the bedrock below. He means to fill this chamber with it. Too bad for him I control the granite between there and here. With a wave of my hand I constrict his fissures and banish the lava back to the sea of magma from which it arose. Now he falls back, his face squeezing in hatred. He hisses the first words I recognize. Absim Totopas Grillu. Ah, so he knows my work. Well, that's flattering, but I still don't have the foggiest clue who he is. And you are? I bow. He lunges. We wrestle on the stone floor. It's like trying to rearrange the broom closet. Sticks and bones batter me. I grab them by the handful and push them away, try to break them, kick and stomp and bite. His claws score my back. We crash into a burning bookshelf and more books fall. Poof, poof. He catches one, saving it from annihilation, and I use that respite to press my thumbs against more of his legs, unwinding them. He collapses and the book falls from his hand. Poof. I cackle. He rolls onto his back and cries, Edikadai, meikos. And the high dark ceiling stirs. A cloud of black winged insects descend, buzzing and stinging me. I crush them in my hands, finding that they are faded wooden locusts, animated by the same canted, weather-beaten energy as him. Perhaps he is only a locust's version of a man. Perhaps a great locust god hides up in the deepest shadows above me and manipulates this figure like a marionette. Maybe this wood will burn. I hose the air before me with a flame-throwing hand. The locusts readily combust, and not a moment too soon. My clothes are in tatters, and I bleed from a score of bites. I clear the air of them. I kick something. My penis staff! It had fallen out of the tunnel when I first arrived, and I'd forgotten about it. Well, let's see what use I can make of it. I turn on my foe and hold it up before me like a holy symbol. The creature frowns at the crudely carved genitals sprouting from the top. Not my best work, I apologize. In fact, not my work at all. She was young and new to clerestomy. I swing the staff against the side of his head, clubbing him. The crack stings my hands, and I nearly drop it. No, no, I don't need more ways to kill you. I need... I control my breathing. I shall make this a staff of healing. He lunges awkwardly, and I sidestep, bringing the staff down on his back. That is, after I kill you. He lunges again, hands outstretched. He's trying to ensnare the staff. Ha! It only makes sense that a creature of wood might assume that my staff of wood has an outsized importance. Perhaps I should just give it to him. We might barter. Who knows? We might find a peace between us. We could rise from the ground together and crush the world between us. No, I like my penis staff too much. I push him away with it and open up the ground beneath him. He drops into the hole and I close it under his chin, so that all that remains not being crushed by rock is his topsy-turvy head. I crouch beside him and pat the top of his hood, a paternal gesture. Nice try. But you'll have to do better if you want to... He roars. The ground detonates. 
He springs from it, his hands now as big as his head. He punches me again and again, and a haymaker sends me flying back against the burning wall. I rise and conjure boulders from the floor, hurling them into his chest and snapping his ribs. He swats at one and sends it flying back at me. It shatters beside my head and cuts my face with fragments. Fire rolls forward. Lightning darts out. I'm sore beset. I create a lysophic veil of air to buy myself time. It will take him more than a moment to burn through that. Injuries too numerous to count hamper my every movement. I should really look into stanching the blood from my shoulder, but he just isn't giving me enough time. My veil falls before I can address my wounds. So I sink into the bedrock again. But now he knows who I am and what I can do. The lava boils up from below once more, and instead of planning my next attack, I find myself doing all I can to evade the lava coming from below. Such an odd collection of talents he has, nearly as odd as mine. I wonder if I'll ever solve the mysteries of who made him or what he is. Within the bedrock I pass directly beneath him and thrust the floor upward, smashing him like a bug against the ceiling. Well, that's satisfying. Again and again. But the chamber fractures from the impacts and the bedrock does too, so his lava spills upward, seeking me. Fine. I rise from the bedrock and seal it beneath me. He is a pile of broken sticks and a lolling head. It appears that I've crushed the fight out of him. On a whim, I pull a tiny book from one of the only remaining shelves and open it to a random page. I read aloud... Kezeter Keziti Ishri, Thoa Istabisti. And the oddest thing happens. I should say that his head regains its normal position, chin down, esophagus connected to lungs and all that. But that is not what occurs. I swear that what I experience instead is that his head stays in the same fixed position and the entire rest of his body revolves into position around it, but not just his body, the floor and the chamber and the land itself. He rotates the entire universe around his head until it wheels into position and settles with a click I can feel in my bones. He blinks. Ah, that book! It was that little book all along! Restored! He's mostly normal now, though still a skeleton of sticks and bones. He reaches for the book in my hand. Now read the next page so I can regain my body. In time, in time. I leaf forward and find more spells written in the same spidery script as the one I read. Whose is this? Absim, do it now. It is mine. His voice is the same reedy warble as before. I am the Milmin. I see. The Milmin. Is that a title, or... It is the Milmin. What? You don't remember me? Ah. Oh. No. I mean, now I get why you recognized me. We've met before, have we? You sentenced me to death. Hmm, you'll have to narrow it down. You presided over a purge of officials from the newly conquered Obdurat in Hesia. I was responsible for thirteen clerks. You had them thrown to the dogs and forced me to watch. Then you took suggestions from the members of your court about how I should be... Look, I'm sure this was an important moment for you and everything, but you'll have to understand that I was on a rampage of terror for a good 
six, seven years, and it's all become somewhat of a blur. Curse you, Lord of Cruelty! Restore my legs! Working on it. So what are all these books? Where did you get them? You really don't remember? The millman presses his fists to his mouth and screams, a desperate, heartbreaking sound. For years I've waited for you, calling for you to come face your punishment at my hands. Yet I never believed it would work. But here, Absom the despised is. Your generals and sorcerers suggested I be flayed by demons or roasted by sun ants. But it was you who suggested these books, a facsimile of the greatest library of arcana known to man. Then you threw me here into this sealed chamber, after transforming me into a hairless rat. A hairless rat? Now he has my attention. That sounds good. Good? For ages I could do nothing but eat the pages of the books left here, never knowing if the spells I consumed were the very ones I needed for my salvation. Yet I still possessed my mind, and something of my esoterica, for the millman is the repositor of all that moves but does not speak throughout Hesia. In time I found a spell that I could squeak and have it be understood, well, partly understood. It turned your head upside down. No, that came much later, after so many errors and tragedies. So, so many... I tried every spell I could, but many of them did more damage than anything else. My body has been stretched and pulled and changed beyond all recognition, and my mind, after attempting so very many spells, the import of which I never knew, has been chopped to hash. Only a random few worked as intended. I no longer need to eat or sleep, for example, but... My frame is made of ash wood. You'd make a capital bow. Well, Milman, old sop, it's been a great pleasure seeing you again like this in all your misery. You have no idea how much that means to me, but I must be on my way. Any useful bits left in any of... No! His howl lifts hairs on my arms. He pounds the floor with his misshapen fists. You will not leave me here. You will die here, and I will regain my freedom and my rightful place in the Obdurat. Ah, I'd forgotten we're fighting. Well, I crook my finger, and a shelf of limestone separates from the ceiling above and falls onto him with such force I need to leap back, which somewhat spoils my disaffected manner. The millman groans from beneath the rubble. I pass my hand over the pile, and it solidifies into a single block. There. Now he's entombed. Where's my staff? I find it against the wall, battered and burnt. Then I pocket the small book and leave the rest to posterity. The limestone tomb begins to shiver. Cracks run up the sides. We don't appear to be quite finished yet. I slip back into the tunnel I created to wait out the violent detonation. Boom! As expected, he emerges with a scream, chanting schismatism and summoning fairies the size of candle flames. 
The schismatic chant is an unbearable sonic assault, and it knocks the billowing dust right out of the air. I clap my hands over my ears and squeeze my eyes shut, nearly missing his silhouette suddenly appearing in the tunnel's opening, reaching for me again. He grasps my leg with an invisible hand of force and drags me from my bolt hole. I whip across the chamber, slamming against the wall. When I rise, silver bars form a cage around me. Wait a minute. The millman approaches, distorted by his rage, his bones splintered. He lifts a hand and a book flies into it. He cracks it open, his eyes glowing green, and begins to intone a verse of such great puissance I can hardly bear to hear it. Then another distant sound drowns him out. The green light fades from his eyes and he frowns, canting his head. Then I hear it too. Hoofbeats. Here? How? The chamber begins to vibrate in time to the hoof strikes. Bookshelves fall and more dust rises. Then a stallion, too large for the chamber, races from within the limestone of the wall across the floor toward us, his form drawing down to fit within here as he clatters to a halt. Otober, god of beasts. Absim. The stallion is breathing heavily and approaches with urgency. He is now not much taller than me. A splendid creature, I'm sure, with a pearlescent sheen to his white coat and soulful eyes. Otober, here. I manifest a carrot and push it through the bars to him. He tears it from my fingers in annoyance and casts it aside. How did you find me, god of fur and claw? Your horse, a good fellow, Sebastian. His name is Wraith. He told me all I needed to know. Absom, you must hide me. Hell yes, Vertigo claim me. Me, hide you. I, the Cloud Watcher Fenral Hoth, has turned against me, me and several others. Bernerice, Thescamal, Juventa, we are the hunted now. In my desperation, I turn to you. You're my last hope. If you can survive his ire, perhaps I might as well. Ha! Their endless empire of peace and love lasted no more than a season before they started tearing at each other's necks. Why, Otober, I'd be more than happy to assist you as soon as I— As soon as you what, Lord of Deceit? We must fly. Now. Well, I happen to be imprisoned at the moment by a fellow named— The horse stamps impatiently and swings his noble head at the millman. Die. The millman collapses without a sound. The bars of the cage vanish, and I step free. Anything else? Odebur swings his head to me. No, lord, not a thing. Then hop on. We need to be far from here when the sky clouds over. Thanks for listening to A Lot Shock. Stay tuned every week for new episodes. Tell your friends and keep an eye out for other stories told here on... The Unuseful Hour.